Sweet. What's up, AJ? How's it going, Jack? Living the dream. Um, this So this is episode six of our SW Dealers podcast. So I'm getting through like, I've got five demos in, so I'm through like one goal period. So this one should be the best one yet. I'm excited. There you go. <laughs> should be fun. But yeah, so I, we're, uh, I was excited to get you on the, on the schedule. I told you on the phone. Um, I think a lot of the conversations we've had throughout my Southwestern career have been really impactful and one specific one after about four glasses of red wine at key persons <laughs> sticks out. But uh, I'm excited to learn some stuff from you today and hopefully uh, be able to share some good stuff for everyone. So you ready to dive in? Yeah, man. I'm excited to, to be here. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, dude. It's going to be fun. Uh, all right. So I, I, first thing I was curious about, I know you've talked about this on stage, just kind of to give everyone a, a background of you. I thought it'd be good if you kind of dove into your beginnings like i think your recruiting story is awesome like how you got recruited and kind of your mindset and then i kind of want to dive quickly into like your mindset after that um because i know you you just told me you brought a five-person team as an in-schooler that year i want to hear kind of what your motivations were for that kind of if you were fired up and in-schooler the entire time or kind of what that process was like but yeah i'd love to hear kind of from the start your uh I think your story is pretty unique and can provide some good impact hope for the recruiters out there that you never know who you're going to call. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, it's, it's really interesting. A lot of times, you know, we, you know, as recruiters in Southwestern, we, um, we interview so many people and we have so many people come over to informational meetings. And uh, I think sometimes we forget that sometimes timing is key you know, just like on the book field, you know, we all know that we've had those experiences where somebody HPH is us. And then we like just so happen to drive by their house on a Saturday and they're outside and you're like, okay, I'm going to go talk to this person. <laughs> and then they end up being cool yeah. and they realize you're cool. And it's just like perfect timing, right? That's why it's so important on the book field to, to never just go, oh, now is not the right time because you just never know. Right. So it's the same thing in recruiting. And for me, it was really interesting because, um, you know, for me, I was, you know, in high school, I grew up in a really strict uh, Christian household. And, you know, my parents uh, were, you know, they kind of sheltered me in a lot of ways from a lot of the things that they got onto or got into in their past. Mm -hmm. And um, because of that, I grew up going to church three times a week. I had to memorize Bible verses every morning before I went to school. Wasn't allowed to swear. Wasn't allowed to date. I couldn't play sports pretty much unless I got straight A's. So mm. I was the type of kid growing up who, you know, I knew everything about pretty much every sport. Cause I would, I would, you know, in the summers I would wake up at like 6 a.m. and flip on sports center at 7 a.m. and watch it on repeat until <laughs> basically oh, every day, you know? Yeah. So <clears throat> uh, I wanted to play sports and I love football. I loved hockey. I love golf. And, and uh, so of course I got straight A's and then, you know, top, you know, by the time I was a senior in high school, captain of my hockey team, golf team, you know, um, pretty much like a most, most likely to succeed type of candidate. And, uh, and then uh, I also just started dating in, in high school. Um, and then I went off to college, started living with the girl that I was dating from high school, which my parents, I bet your parents love that. Yeah. They were pretty fired up about that one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, over those next few years of college, I, I started working at Applebee's as a cook uh, on, on the, you know, in the summertime I worked as a, uh, I worked railroad track maintenance uh, on the local railroad in my hometown for the mining plant. Also mowed greens and fairways uh, once a week there on the weekends. But throughout the school year, because I was paying for all my own college, you know, tuition, I had loans piling up. I had, I was paying for my car, gas, food, rent. Uh, my parents didn't support me at all, not because they didn't want to, but be frankly, because they just didn't have the means to. Yeah. But at the same time, I also was the type of kid that I didn't ask for help. I, I wanted to prove to my parents. I had like this really deep, like inner, uh, you know, pride in becoming self-sufficient. Yeah. Right. 
And uh, I don't know if you can really teach that in people. Uh, maybe it had something to do with, you know, my parents maybe do chores growing up as a kid to ever get <laughs> any sort of money. I started working my first job as a paper boy when I was 11, you know, and I basically haven't had a job every single year of my life since I was 11. So, but um, anyways, I started associating myself with the wrong crowd of people. You know, a lot of my friends were Applebee's friends, famous days, friends, people that worked in the kitchen with me. A lot of them were like high school dropouts, college dropouts, never went to college. And then if I, I did hang out with college friends, you know, we were partying, you know, and it went from like freshman year going out one or two nights a week to like third year in college going out to the bars and, and drinking and partying and chasing girls pretty much, you know, five, six, sometimes seven nights a week. And I was working 30 hours a week at the restaurant, also taking 16 credits. And somewhere along the lines, um, I grew up in a really small town of, of 1,500 people. So it's actually fairly common for people to drink and drive in my hometown, unfortunately. Um, you know, they go to the local bar and, you know, tie one on and then uh, drive a mile or two home and don't think anything of it. And for me, you know, I was living in a city of 100,000 people. And you do that, uh, you know, enough times and eventually you're going to get caught. So yeah. my kind of uh, catalyst moment, my, you know, breaking point, my come to Jesus moment was January 30th, 2008. I was driving home from a, a Christmas party for work. I gave my DD a ride home, which just goes to show you, you know, <laughs> how great of judgment I had back then, right? And then I was driving four miles back home, got pulled over going 40 and a 30, I had uh, four beers and one shot that night. So it's not like I was, you know, wasted out of my mind, but I was buzz driving, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, I got arrested and spent the night in jail, you know, and that was kind of like, you know, imagine, you know, Mr. Most likely to succeed captain of all the sports teams. Dad's like my dad's like the worship leader of my church in my hometown. And three years later, I'm sitting in a jail cell feeling like I pissed my life down the drain. And uh, I didn't realize it until then, but that's exactly what I was doing. And uh, I called my parents the next day and my dad literally said nothing on the phone until the very end. And he, he said, find new friends. And he hung up the phone. And it was kind of funny looking back on it now because I didn't really even understand what he was talking about. I was <laughs> like, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? I was the one that was driving. This has nothing to do with my friends. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, while I was just kind of, you know, laying in a pool of pity and, you know, self-victimhood, um, three nights later, I got a random phone call from a guy named Ryan Groom, you know, and he said, hey, is this AJ? I said, yeah. And he goes, uh, hey, my name is Ryan Groom. I'm a student leader with the Southwestern Company. You know, uh, you filled out a survey in one of your classes a, a couple of weeks ago. Do you remember doing that? And I vaguely remembered it. And then he goes through the rest of the approach. And literally all I remember really from that approach was that the average student made about $8,000 and that there was an informational meeting about it. And, you know, for me, uh, you know, I was the type of college student. I worked three jobs, 65 hours a week yeah. in a summer before this, and I would make about four to 5,000, but because I had literally no mentors on, you know, leadership or finances, um, I would spend 90% of it and go back to college with like a thousand, 15 bucks or 1500 bucks in my pocket. And, um, so I went to the informational meeting, honestly, because of the money at first, yeah. right. Cause I had credit card debt. My car was falling apart. I was barely making my bills. I was living off of an eighth of tank of gas in my gas tank, ramen noodles. Part of the reason why I worked at Applebee's and Famous Dave's as a cook was because I got one free meal. Dude, yeah. Some days, some days that was the one meal I ate that day, wow. you know? So in a lot of ways, I was uh, really in a bad spot uh, financially. And then Southwestern fell into my lap. And I, I went to the informational meeting and I was just so impressed with Ryan and just his confidence, just how he spoke. Um, and just how he carried himself. And I met the other, you know, three or four student leaders that were there, Danny Lundquist, uh, Kevin Tuma, and a couple other people. And they were all kind of the same way. And they were enthusiastic and positive and encouraging. And, 
you know, there was probably about eight other first years in that meeting. And honestly, by the end of the meeting, Ryan and I were literally the only ones talking. He was leading the meeting and I was <laughs> all of his questions. And he cut off the meeting about, I don't know, five minutes before it was actually over. And he just looked at me and he goes, AJ, you sound like you're pretty into this. Do you want to go into our interview process? And I was kind of like, am I committing to anything? And he goes, <laughs> And I go, sure, wouldn't hurt. <laughs> and then uh, then he passes me off to this B contract, Danny Lundquist, and he does this kind of like weird emotional roller coaster that I didn't even understand. And all I all they did was on a piece of notebook paper, they wrote down, come up with five questions, five things you want to gain, five things that give you confidence. And that was the assignment, right? And the next yeah. day, I don't even know if I actually filled out the assignment all the way. My two biggest concerns or questions were, do you allow people that have DUIs? <laughs> right. And then what yeah. do I do with my dog? Yeah. You know, so I'm, I'm a very like point A, point B type of guy. Like if I understand the start and, and the end, uh, I don't ask a lot of questions and, you know, I think I figure I'm probably just going to figure it out along the way. Right. So of course, we met up for the next few days, got to know Ryan. He was just an amazing dude and um, really thought that we could be friends, you know, and I thought like that's where it kind of clicked for me from what my dad said, you know, find yeah. new friends. I yeah, literally found like new friends. Friend. Yeah, I was yeah. I was kind of like, you know, OK, God, are you trying to tell me something right now? Because, uh, yeah. you know, I, I have a very firm belief that everything in life happens for a reason. And people and opportunities cross our paths in life for a reason. And uh, but it's up to us because we have free will to actually reach out and grab it and go with it and have yeah. belief, and trust and faith that it's going to be good. You mm -hmm. know, but for me, Ryan got me at the perfect time. Honestly, if I would have learned about Southwestern a week before, there's a chance I would have been like, <laughs> there's a party tomorrow. I'm not going to, <laughs> you know, yeah. or I always kind of joke around and, and wish that I would have learned about this when I was 19. Yeah. you know, 18 or 20. But I think I was so stubborn and so stuck in my own ways that if I would have learned about it back then, I probably wouldn't have went to the informational meeting either. You know, yeah. uh, I think it, for me, it was sort of required for me to go through this, you know, rigmarole for my first three years of college to, to really be in the right place, to be open-minded, to really see the value in Southwestern. So that was, that was life-changing. And, uh, you know, from that point forward, everything that Ryan was teaching me was like a foreign language. You mm -hmm. know, action cures fear, schedule is your lifeline, yeah. your attitude is everything, the common denominator of success, what you're someday going to be, you're now becoming. Like all of these things were things that I had never really been exposed to before. So every training meeting, I got excited to go meet with Ryan. Every campus meeting, I got excited to go learn new technical things and meet the other kids that I was going to compete against. Thank you know, you. I got I got so excited to just spend time with these people that, you know, sometimes I even skip some of my classes to go to info meetings. Like as a first, <laughs> you know, like I sat through as many info meetings as I possibly could as a first yeah. year student leading up to the summer, you know. And then I mean, it makes sense. I went out my first summer and I always tell people, you know, after going to sales school, like, you know, running around, learning all the technical stuff, going through the real deal you know, seeing Dan Moore dance around up on stage, like a crazy person. Like that was like yeah. the funniest thing I ever experienced. Um, and then uh, even going to like the spiritual timeout on <clears throat> a couple of the days in sales school. And like back then, Dan Moore was actually up on stage uh -huh. playing guitar, singing songs. And I was like, <laughs> this is a really cool place to be, you know, like yeah. these are good people doing a good thing, working their butts off, you know, and they have their hearts in the right place. And I always tell people that I, I uh, feel like I, I could have ran through a brick wall at the end of my, or at the end of sales school, you know, yeah. and of course we went to D Detroit that summer and didn't have a place to live. So we were knocking on doors and going to churches. And I remember just kind of thinking to myself, wow, <laughs> I'm basically homeless right now, looking for a place <laughs> in Michigan, you know, staying at a motel six. And then we found our headquarters and got ready to go and sell and, didn't sell anything my basically my whole first week finally made my first sale my my uh, on friday of my first week i'll never forget the lady's name her name was june dangle 
it was one of those scenarios where I almost feel like she had actually had somebody sit down with her before because I was going through the volume libraries, you know, and about halfway through, she like tried to stop me. And she's like, how much are these? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, uh, well, I got to go through the rest of this. I still and have two more paragraphs. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I didn't know how to just like skip to the price buildup and close, you know? Um, so anyways, I, I gave her the price and, you know, I don't even know if I closed because she closed for me and she's kind of like, Hey, are, so how does it work then? Like, do I give you like half now and then half at the end of the summer? And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's exactly how it works. <laughs> right. But either way, from that point forward, it was like light bulb went off. That yeah. felt good. I want to learn how to do that again. I want to multiply that as much as I possibly yeah. can. In my first summer, dude, I was so on schedule. I was like a front page rookie and I never got off schedule my first summer. The thing I felt the the worst about my first summer was uh, in uh, in delivery week. I stopped at noon and went to a McDonald's uh, part or McDonald's drive through and bought two apple pies. It probably took me a grand total of like three minutes, but I felt super guilty about it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> But uh, anyways, sold about 3000 units, made just over 15 grand, you know, came home with a with a check for more money than I ever thought was legal. And, you know, I was able to pay my dad back the 1500 bucks I, I borrowed from him to get a better car yeah. going into the summer. But more than anything, I just had a whole new lease on life, new new sense of confidence, new friendships. Uh, people were teaching me about finances. Yeah. I was reading books like these were things that I never did before yeah. Western, you know, so. So if yeah. you back before we go forward, because so, something I was, I was thinking about as you were saying that, like going to as many infos as possible, like, and, and being like excited to go to trainings and excited to like, I definitely remember feeling like that too. Like I was like, like after my info, I, I actually recommended two friends right after my info. And after I got selected, they got info the next day. I went to all their interviews. I was like, Pedro, can I go to these? And he was like, you know, <laughs> probably he's like, yeah, of course you can. You know, he's right. like excited. But I remember just being like anything I could go to. I was like, this is so cool. Do you think that that's like just an ace thing? Like where we were just like the type of people, or do you think that there's a way that that can be cultivated more? Um, with first years like is that is there, is there a way you think that we can make it more like that or that you try to make it like that or is it just kind of like you know you're gonna run into a pony every now and again that's just gonna think everything is awesome i think to a certain extent i was a pony you were probably a pony right yeah um, but i think at the same time we get what we promote as recruiters and trainers um i think if you set a goal that every single time you meet with a first year, every single time with you meet with a potential first year, whether it's in the interview process or in the training process, you need to figure out how to add value to their life and teach them something new that they can be inspired to apply to their life. You know, and that's really what kept me going back and kept me excited to meet with Ryan and Ryan promoted like, Hey, like come to, come to at least one or two info meetings a week, you know? And for me, it was like a no brainer. Yeah. I totally want to go, you know, he was like, yeah, you're going to learn more. You're going to, you know, you can help us kind of, you know, assess who's sharp and who's not, you know, you can watch the books be demonstrated multiple times. You know, you can kind of give your testimonial at the end of the meeting on like why you're doing this. And that'll help us out. That'll help your team out. That'll help you out. And I think just constant promotion and repetition of that. I mean, to be honest with you, when I was recruiting my best teams, that's what I did with my first years. That's what I did with my B's and C's on campus. Yeah. And, I mean, it was common to have, you know, the full-time recruiters, one or two or three of us, um, plus, you know, three or four or five student leaders or first years sitting in there as real examples of real life human beings that were <laughs> not pictures program again. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, and maybe that's old school, but you know, to a certain extent, I think we need to get back to that to yeah. where that 
it's common. That's just normal. And that's fun. That's like, I mean, if you're running info and there's two full-timers in there, three student leaders and three rookies, and then, you know, 10 potential for like, that's a fun meeting, you know? For sure. For like, sure. You're having a well, And then it forces you to be on point. It forces you to like, yeah. I mean, when I was running informational meetings, dude, it was like a motivational speech. I wanted those kids to like leave that meeting feeling inspired and like they learned something, you know, whether they actually did the program or not, you know, like my thought process was if there's something that I say over the next hour that sticks with this kid, you know, like two years, five years, 10 years down the road, they probably won't remember my name, but yeah. they'll remember, oh man, I remember that informational meeting I went to that one guy told me this and it didn't really hit home then, but man, yeah. it really changed my life now, you know, For sure. I just don't know if some of our recruiters really have the long-term vision of that, you know, like I really mm. feel like that is such a and I'm not saying that I just possess that or that yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. a great guy who always was thinking about that. You know, I think I was taught that by, you know, some of my mentors. And um, I mean, that's that's really who gets a lot of the credit. A lot of the things that I do, I do because I was taught that by yeah. you know, Tim Ritzer and Ryan Groom and Jake Swenson and some of the guys who really mentored me in a huge way on my way up in Southwestern. Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, and those are the funnest input information sessions. Wouldn't it be like you get to the challenges and you're like, and that's why where you build character and you're just getting fired up and you see yeah. one, of the, one of the eight kids is like, yeah, you know, they're like <laughs> totally with you. For sure. Yeah, that is fun. Uh, okay, cool. So you finished the summer. Obviously, you know, if that's how you were before the summer, you know, uh, super on schedule, 3,000 units, you were, you know, new lease on life is the way you worded it. So, coming back building a team that year were you kind of just same level of locked in like okay yeah this makes sense i'm ready to build a team i'm ready to get started i'm going to get people infoed every week like and we're just kind of consistent all the way through yeah pretty much i yeah. mean that that whole next year i i was very um I was just a learning organism, which Roger Seip in his keynote speech always talked about. You have to be a learning organism, you know. So I was reading books like the the One Minute Manager and the Go Giver, and you know different books like that um, that really were helping me feel like I was becoming a leader. And then mm. honestly, it was just a matter of getting over my own fear and talking to friends in class and you know, going and floating in the library. You know, I remember sometimes though, where I just like really, really didn't want to do it. And I'd like pace back and forth up and down the hallway, you know, like for probably 40, 45 minutes until I finally mustered up the courage to actually um, go to, hold on. Oh yeah, no worries. Sweet. I had some fatherly duties to attend to, but yeah, you were saying yes. pacing back and forth. Sorry about that. Yeah. yeah. So basically, yeah, I remember when I was pacing back and forth, you know, on campus in the hallway, waiting to go and like, you know, go and actual, actually float some kids in the library. You know, I remember, you know, the, uh, the fear of, you know, calling people at night, um, you know, I, I had to literally figure out like ways to reward myself so that I actually would do the phoning, you know, and I got in, I got to a rhythm in, uh, in, in schooling where uh, basically I would like do my homework once I got home from school and then from like seven to eight or eight to nine, somewhere in there, my goal every single night during the, during, during the school, uh, like the week was to, uh, get five commits every night, just five commits, no matter what, you know, which meant that I needed to have people on my far list and I needed to have uh, some fresh names from floating as well. Yeah. So I could actually get those commits. So yeah, yeah. I was getting five commits a night and I had to reward myself. So it was like, if you get five commits, the sooner you get five commits, the quicker you can play Call, Call of Duty. You know, that was a video game that I was pretty addicted to back then. Right. So I just did that every single night. And, you know, I had. So like five days a week. Yeah. Like Sunday through Wednesday, I usually had five commits. Nice. So it was like 20 commits a week, 
and I usually had about a you know 50% show percentage somewhere in people in fun. Yeah, yep, for people to actually show up. And um that year, you know, I think I recruited one girl from my hometown, one kid from my graphic design class, and then the other three people on my team that made it to sales school were um were just random, you know, floats on campus, kids that I met, you know. Yeah. So I brought a five-person team, brought a corner cornerstone team. I think I recruited like nine kids that year though. And four of them went cold. One of them was actually my really good buddy who was like a D1 hockey player who like went cold the day before we left for sales school. And I was pretty oh. that, but I mean, it is what it is. And I felt really proud of that. And I, yeah. I, once again, like every Southwestern meeting, whether it was awards, you know, seminar, awards, banquet, uh, meeting of the minds sizzler grs grs2 tune-up meeting spring production all those meetings throughout the year i just got so fired up to go to them at the same time even though i was a sammy southwestern i still was very like not emotionally intelligent and not good at coaching myself so i would ride the roller coaster up and down throughout the whole year and it was funny because like by the time i got to every single southwestern event i was like on the verge of like quitting Southwestern <laughs> and I would like go to the meeting and be like, Oh yeah, that's why I love this again. You know? So, uh, so, I mean, I went through a lot of the same things that, that most people go through fear, doubt, worry, you know, um, my very first informational meeting uh, that I ever ran was in the spring of, of 20 or 2009 and uh, I had run a few notebooks before this, but this yeah. was like my first ever info meeting. And back then they were very simple. It was like, here's the, here's the year we started. Here's how many sister companies we have. Here's our alumni, a few of our alumni. We didn't even show um, any sort of PowerPoint or anything. Yeah, my then. first info session was just off the dome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, you literally just had to memorize everything, you know, yeah. and yet... And the goal was to memorize it so well that you didn't even have to look at anything, right? Yeah. And uh, it was funny. Um, I think it was Ryan Groom or somebody. He was like, hey, if there's only three people or three people or less in this info, you have to run it, right? Because uh, Ryan and Danny were the full-timers on campus. So so anyways, uh, I'm stuck running this thing. And I get about 20 minutes into the info session and my phone starts going off. And, you know, back then, none of us had smartphones. It was one, it was like a flip phone, but it was, like, it was one of those like weird, I probably have it in my desk here still. It was one of those weird, like juke. It was like a swipe. Like swipe. Yeah, exactly. Like really thin. For some reason, it just starts blaring in my pocket and I can't get it to turn off. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Clicking <laughs> it, you know? Uh, and it still wouldn't go off. And eventually I just chuck it at the wall and the battery falls out. And I was kind of like, oh, well, that did the trick, you know? And then I kept going with the info meeting. And needless to say, those people all thought I was probably a psycho and uh, <laughs> not go into the interview process. But um, I That's definitely so got the funny. phone to stop ringing. So, but yeah, I always tell people like your first info meeting could not, I used to have like those uh the one with the LG shine with the mirror on it and those yeah. things indestructible like you could throw them against walls and they would never break just the battery would fall out and be fine that's hilarious okay so you built a cornerstone team you went after it I think there's like definitely lessons to be learned there too though it's like I think floating gives you the ability where it's like there's no excuses so like, if you want to get people info, like floating is intimidating, but I remember doing that too. I would walk around the library and I would just pace back and forth, but it was, it was like, I needed to get names. So, and I, I would give myself, I needed an hour of like actually talking to people. So I, I would, the longer I paced, it was like, I was just wasting time because I couldn't get my hour started, you know, yeah. so I was like, oh. but it was, a. Uh, I feel like when you do that, it gives you no excuse to get people info. And I signed people up. I definitely had no clue how to train them or keep them with me or whatever. But I feel like you can learn a lot by just like, con there's controllables of being able to get that many people into the yeah. process. So that's cool. And I mean, 10 info a week, that's pretty bollock. Okay. Yeah, so that was, that was really a, my thought process. It was, I'm not saying that I was good at recruiting. 
Um, in fact, at first I was doing a lot of selling while recruiting. I didn't understand the concept of like making it selective and getting the kid to sell me on why they should be part of my team. I was doing a lot of selling, which honestly, I think that still does need to be done, but it there needs to be a good balance, yeah. right? So I just kind of looked at it as a numbers game. It was law of averages, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes I wish we, especially for in-schoolers, we looked at it more like that, where it's like a numbers game and the same way we do to the summer though, with demos, where it's like one, the more you demos you do, people will buy, but also the better you get. Like just, you know, I feel like sometimes we forget when it's for like a B or C or like in-schoolers, it's the same, like you're still getting better over time. And I think you can see the full-timers that dove into in schooling usually it's like an easier transition period than if like they didn't and so it's i think uh definitely important but so fast forwarding to jumping into your full-timing season so like how many years total did you full-time well my first full-timing season was uh the the spring of 2011 so 11 12 13 14 15 16 and then from yeah, so that that's six years full timing, and then I did like a half full timing the next two years where I was like on the road being a DSL, like PCing, running people's in, team, doing all that, and then I was also building a team. Yeah, back um, like two day or it was like one to two weeks out of a month I was actually like full time recruiting. So those those years I only really bought brought like two or three kids each year. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think my first time full-timing, I brought a four-person team. And that year I was, I was, I was the inexperienced one working with an experienced student leader. Mm. And that particular year was weird because it was a combination of me not wanting to face my fears with um, the, my full-timing partner, not really wanting to like, take me alongside and like teach me how to do things. So that year uh, she was off like surveying every class on campus and getting hundreds of names and like never asking me to come with or like show me how to do it. And to be honest with you, I was scared of doing it. I was scared of talking to professors. I was scared of getting in front of classes of, you know, a hundred to three, 400 people and making Mm -hmm. an announcement um, that just felt awkward to me. And I just <clears throat> was really scared of it. And I just, <laughs> I just didn't even do it. So she did it all semester. And I think she brought like a nine person team. And uh, for me, I just reverted to what I knew best, which was floating in the library a couple times a week. And then I figured out kind of a hack. I found like, um, uh, what do you call Dean's lists? I found Dean's lists and then I would plug them into the directory on the website and I'd find their cell phone number and I'd call them and I just, oh my gosh. Go the whole thing. so it was just like straight up cold calling from people that didn't even fill out a survey. Wow. And phone, let's just say phoning was really hard that year. And I punched a few pillows. Um, definitely. Um, Throw your phone at any walls. What's that? Did you throw your phone at any walls that year? Oh, no, no, not, not, I was over that after that first year. (laughs) But uh, anyways, you know, I, somehow I still was able to recruit like 10 people that year. Um, But I, you know, the thing I learned that year is that I wasn't very good at getting people committed and holding people accountable and, uh, you know, not accepting you know, people being late or people not doing their assignment or not doing their assignments all the way. And uh, I used to never end my meeting with any sort of commitment. And Christy, you know, my wife, now my wife, at the time, my girlfriend, she was recruiting in-school teams of like five, six people that would go out and sell 7,000 units. And I was still over here, you know, uh, bringing my hodgepodge teams that uh, would just fall apart out on the book field. And uh, she actually taught me that you should end your meeting with a commitment, you know? So like now I end every single one of my training meetings with like, 
okay, there's five things I want to be able to count on you for. Do you remember what those are? And I quiz them on it. And they usually screw it up the first 10 times in a row until they get it down so well that they're like annoyed to tell you it at the end, but they have it down. Right. And then I'd always like shake their hand and be like, Hey, can I actually count on you? Can I come hell or high water, rain or shine? You know? Um, and it was the whole like work hard, study hard, be coachable, stay coachable, stay positive around all of their first years, but always be real with your leaders and and don't give up. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I never did that with that first full timing team. Yeah. And of course, you know, I think I have eight people coming to sales school with me. And I'm not kidding you. The the night before and the morning of I lost four rookies who I'd, I'd been training for the last like two months. You had some bad luck with the day before sales school. Yeah, yeah, that was a that was tough for me. I wasn't very good at getting people actually equipped and and uh, and totally committed. But uh, that team went out. That first team uh, went out and um, totally crashed and burned. Um, like I said, did not train them well, and all four of them. Uh, well, two of them straight up quit. One got sent home, and then one got in a pretty tough car accident. And then she wasn't able to, to really finish the summer on foot. And that person was actually my little sister. Oh yeah. Wow. And, yeah. She got in a pretty bad car wreck, you know, um, had like 22 staples in the, in the back of her head behind her ear. And Damn. I, uh, I really beat myself up about that. I, I kind of like broke down a few times that summer thinking, you know, what the hell was I thinking, uh, getting my sister into this and not training her well enough and, uh, you know, almost killing her, you know, it was a really kind of a dramatic thought, but at the same time, like that was one of the kind of light bulbs that went off because up until that year, I think all of the recruiting I had ever done was for mostly for recognition Mm. I always said, oh, I'm doing it to give back, you know, and it's like, eh, well, I think I really liked that recognition and I liked the PSL money and I liked, you know, all of that. And it's still uh, that feeling you got that first customer when you were like, that feels good. I want to repeat that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so that was kind of my learning moment where I was like, okay, I need to actually care about these people. Mm. Like I can't. Number one, I can't bring out people that I'm not confident in or that I don't feel like I can confidently train them to do well, mm-hmm. you know, um, but it is my job to actually use the training manual and follow the training manual word for word as much as I possibly can and really get through to these kids that they have to be coachable and that there's a, a plethora of different challenges that they're going to run into and really like training them emotionally and mentally for this job. Cause before that, I think I was just like, a lot of my training stuff was like, Oh, let me rehearse some stuff from Mort. You know, let me, you know, give you some cool stories from Roger Sipes CDs, or let me give you some advanced sales stuff, or let me teach you, you know, how to, how to do your second approach and turn around and sit down on the porch and pat the the porch next to you to get something, you know, like just dumb stuff like that. And, I started following the the training manual and if I didn't feel like a kid actually like understood the training meeting really well, I would circle back and do it again, yeah. you know? Um, but also holding them accountable to actually having their sales talk down. I didn't actually have my sales talk down when I got to sales school and Ryan groom had to pull me aside and, and be like, Hey man, um, see, you don't have your sales talk down yet. If you don't have it down by Wednesday of sales or of sales school, then, we might have to hold you back for an extra week. And of course I didn't want to be the, the kid with the dunce cap in the back of the room in the second week of sales school going, yeah, this is my second week, <laughs> you know? So anyways, I, I, I held my rookies accountable. I gave them contests to, to win some money. Once they got the intro down, once they got the demo down, once they could get through the whole thing, you know, uh, that next year, I also started like buying drinks for people. You know, I'd, I'd meet up with kids at a coffee shop. I'd be like, Hey, you want a coffee? You know, even if I, even if I couldn't really afford it all the time, I was still like trying to show kids I cared about them. And it's amazing how like 
you know, buying a cup of coffee or some sort of drink or a snack or something like that for somebody shows them that you care about them. You know, it's not like you're buying their trust or anything, but it's like, yeah, cool. This one's on me. Just like how often does that happen? Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, um, so then that next year, 2012, I, I, I got a little bit better at recruiting, brought a five person team, you know, like three of those people finished the summer. Um, they all wanted to come back. One of them did like 2,400 units as a rookie. And that was like the first real rookie that I trained to actually do well. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of like, you know, another catalyst that really taught I was going to ask, but before like, we move back, how did we, so how did you handle that failure? Like of the first team, like did any oh, part of you team? Yeah, did any part of you want to run away from that, or were you yeah, kind that of was, knew that, was, that like, was something you had to I face? Think, or I think with most people, there's a few different um, moments in their southwestern career where they legitimately feel like giving up and leaving, yeah. and coming up with the whole story of I guess this isn't for me. Yeah, uh, you know, for me, one of those was after my third summer where I decreased by a thousand units from like 4,700 to like 3,700. Um, that was a big one. I almost didn't come back. Somehow I just talked myself through it. And then that, that year though, the, uh, the year where I had a four, that four person team that all quit and got sent home, they did a total of 200 units. So I was like, woohoo, I got paid like 200 bucks for like five months of work. Way to go, AJ. You're that's a great career, buddy. Right. So um that was the year that I moved. I just picked up, I knew I knew I needed to get out of my college town. Yeah. You know, that was a big thing for me. Yeah. So I needed to get away from a lot of my old friends, my old vices, and just you know, start completely new. And I moved, you know, like four hours away across the state to Fargo, North Dakota, you know, warmest place in the U.S. And um, and that year I actually showed up at GRS ice cold. Uh, Christy had actually broken up with me that previous fall right after that fourth summer, even though I had my best summer ever made like 30 grand and had one of the best orgs in JYD. But my team totally crashed and burned. Um I was, I was still like feeling pretty great about life though. Best summer, best org, gaining confidence, you know, and then Christy actually broke up with me and started working at uh, Disneyland is in the Disneyland internship that spring or that fall. And I actually chased her. I just basically took the whole fall off and Ritzer, my DSL, he was just like, yeah, man. Uh, okay, well, you go and find yourself. Cause that's what I was telling him. I'm like, man, I just need to go find myself. Right. So I moved out to Anaheim, California, found my own host mom to live with. Her name was Cheryl. She was like 55, had this, you know, um, little, you know, ankle biter dog that would shit on the floor. <laughs> but, um, anyways, uh, it, you know, I started basically giving Christy a ride to work every morning and giving her a ride home. And then uh, eventually we just started hanging out again. And, uh, you know, it took about two and a half months or so, but she eventually agreed for us to date again. The only problem was, is I spent like most of my money uh, in California that fall. And I showed up at GRS with uh, only a few thousand bucks in my bank account. Um, I had a, I was mad at Tim Ritzer. I was mad at Ryan Groom. I was mad at Jake Swenson. I was mad at Travis Mickelson. These were four guys who were my mentors. And I sat down with, I, I was supposed to go to the full-timer meetings, but, uh, uh, I skipped them. <laughs> GRS, I just skipped them. And I was like wearing like, you know, like ripped jeans, Etni shoes, Neff beanie cap, and like a t-shirt. And I remember sitting in, uh, the atrium of the uh of Landers Plaza with my MacBook Pro on like monster.com and jobs.com. <laughs> I was just so mad and just like, you know, obviously just scared and yeah. pissed off at people and you know, using other people as my scapegoats as to why I wasn't gonna do Southwestern anymore. Mm-hmm. And I went up and did my PC with Ritzer and I was and I basically just puked on him all this stuff for about 20 minutes and told him how mad at him I was and all this stuff. And he was just like, AJ, it's cool, man. Like, you don't have to, you don't have to do this. Like, 
you know, you can be done. That's totally fine. But like, you're here, you may as well go to the meetings, you know? And then he's like, he apologized for the thing that I was mad at him about. And all he needed to do was apologize. And I was like, of course, Kim. And then I met up with all those other guys throughout all the other meetings. And I told him what I was mad at him about. It was all just a bunch of petty BS. Yeah. And they were all yeah. like, Oh man, I'm so sorry. I had no idea that I had that effect on you. And of course, you know, like by the end of GRS, I'm like, all right, well, I'm doing <laughs> this, you know, and that was the that was the year 2012 where I I had no money and Ritzer you know gave me an advance for to to help me out with full timing a little bit I basically begged him to do it do it for me and then uh, I actually lived with my my roommates were this kid named Zach who was a B and then uh, this kid named Lucas Odegaard. And uh, I did, I couldn't afford my own apartment. So I ended up living in their like storage closet and setting up a cot, you know, me being like the OL, like the most experienced, makes the most money in Southwestern. I can't even afford my own place, right? So anyways, yeah, still brought a five-person team though. That team did decently well. And that was kind of the catalyst for me to believe that I could train top rookies mm-hmm. in that next year. And that was actually the year that you and I were talking about uh, before too, where I made the realization that I needed to start taking care of my backyard. You know, I was still showing up on campus, going to the coffee shop, sitting in the union with my JC Penney suit on, you know, preaching success principles, right? And uh, how successful I was. And then I was going back to my apartment and sleeping in my closet, right? So I started to really realize that, you know what, I need to start taking care of my backyard with like working out, eating better, um, you know, not just going back to my apartment and binge watching Netflix series and drinking beers all night like I did before. Uh, I needed to start really cleaning up my life. And, you know, that was the year I started kind of like rekindling my relationship with God. Um, I started listening to uh, Christian hit music radio stations on the way to work and on the way home. And, um, and that just kind of like made me feel so much more positive. And, you know, that was, that was the year that I started sharing with people, like what I believe too, if it came up, obviously I wasn't like evangelizing, at, yeah. you know, <laughs> at the info session. Yeah. 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 I, but I was like, literally I was, you know, if it came up and they were a Christian, I was like, yeah, well, I I grew up in that. And I was kind of like the prodigal son for a few years and Southwestern in a lot of ways uh, was like God giving me grace and letting me back in, you know, and, um, and that's when I kind of started doing that a little bit more. And then that next year, uh, since I had this new like understanding of like, Hey, I need to take care of my backyard. I need to start, you know, being the Christian that I know that I am, you know, I need, uh, I also have confidence now that I recruited a, you know, one person to go sell over 2000 units finally. Um, and then that year, you know, the, the difference maker for me was I just stopped going year to year. I stopped doing the, like, we'll see how this year goes thing. And I really like sunk my feet in and decided you know, I'm, I'm going to be here for the next five years, regardless of what happens. I don't care how this next recruiting season goes or this next summer, you know, I'm going to be here for the next five years. I'm fully committed to that. And, um, and you know, what's really ironic and funny about this is um, I think a lot of us judge ourselves based on our age or our years in Southwestern. Um, And for me, I was 23 years old as a first year student. Yeah. So 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, I didn't have this realization that I was going to make a long-term commitment with Southwestern until my sixth year. 28 years old. I was 28 years old. And we have people in Southwestern going, I've been here for six years, man. That's such a good perspective for me. Because I'm 27 and I'm like, sometimes I'm like, man, I've been here forever, you know, and it's like, man. That's yeah. Well, like age literally is just a number and number of years in Southwestern is just a number. And if we're truly all on a new journey, our our own individual journey that God designed for us, 
That means we all come into Southwestern with a different ability level, different mm-hmm. skill levels, different talent levels, different uh, confidence levels, different, uh, I don't know, maturity levels, right? And for all of us, it takes a certain period of time to just grow up and start treating our job like an actual career, you know? And that was kind of the realization that I made. I said, okay, I'm going to treat this like an actual career and I'm going to go after this. I'm going to put pretty much everything else in my life on the back burner right now. And I'm going to go all in to full-time recruiting and if I'm not a DSL within five years, or at least close to becoming a DSL, then maybe I truly am not cut out for this. <laughs> but I got, I mean, every year I've learned new lessons in Southwestern. Every mm. year I've had new failures that I learned from. You know, every year I've had new successes. Every year I've developed better and more confident skills and talents in different areas that I didn't realize I had before. Every year I break new belief barriers and I believe that I can earn more, learn more, impact more, right? So that was the year that for the first time ever, I was like phoning for up to 20 hours a week. You know, I was running, you know, sometimes three or four infos a day, you know, and I was, uh, I was absolutely committed to getting 30 plus people infoed every single week, you know, but here's the difference. It's not like I was getting 60 commits, 65, 70 commits, 30, 35 people infoed and like three put into the process. My thought process was I was going to put everything in my power into every single one of these info meetings to inspire people to want to be like me. Like doing your best in every part of the process, not like, I'm just going to, I'm going to put the time on the phone and see what happens, but it's like, I'm going to give my best at every part of this process. Totally. Yeah. And it was just like, I'm going to, I'm not going to skip the little things, all those little things that you hear the top recruiters talk about at the Southwestern meetings. They're like, Oh yeah. Every time a kid gets selected on my team, I send a congratulation text out to everybody else on my campus. And I encourage them to send a text message to these kids to congratulate them Mm. right away. First time I heard that, I was like, (laughs) that sounds stupid. Why would I do that? Yeah, nerds, right? And eventually I was just like, you know what? Why am I doing that to myself? Like, if that actually works, like, why am I not doing that? Like, yeah, totally. You know, there's a lot of games out there. Like, Ryan Groom was talking to me about this uh, actually this morning. He was talking about how golf is a game of millimeters, right? I could be standing there on the driving range swinging my club just right next to, to Tiger Woods. And basically, our, our, uh, our swings could look pretty dang similar right like if you don't know if you don't know yeah, golf yeah, yeah, yeah. two swings yeah. side by side you're like oh well <laughs> yeah <laughs> looks like right. a swing the yeah. fact of the matter is you know <laughs> just like golf is a game of millimeters recruiting is a game of millimeters yeah you know it might take one extra thing for you to say on the phone for a kid to show up to an info meeting yeah. it might take <clears throat> putting your best into the emotional roller coaster it might take you know, um, uh, you know, really getting into the details of what the kid is actually struggling with is maybe it's not what they're saying. It's what they're not saying. You know, why are they asking the questions that way from the first day assignment? You know, what's, you know, anyways, but I just started doing all these little things, you know, like back then we used to just call people and hope that they showed up to the info meeting. And then I started doing reminder texts. And then somewhere along the lines, all of our kids in our entire company are doing reminder texts now. You know, yeah. I'm not saying that that was me. It might have been, it might have been somebody else, but either way, right? Yeah. Just doing all these little things, and you know, um, eventually I ended up getting two or three kids on my team that were probably the sharpest kids I had ever selected for my team ever. And I was like, groom, this is going to be a good team. My first three team members are solid. They're sharp. One of them had won like a national championship in figure skating. One of them was like a CrossFit fanatic. One had won like the state golf tournament in in North Dakota, like two different times and was like a leading scorer uh, for basketball uh, in his home, in his hometown. So it was just like, heck yeah. You know, and then I kept working on that. 
And eventually I brought more people and that was an eight person team that did over 10,000 units. Um, and then I just carried that momentum. Right. And then that next year, you know, I, I selected like five people in the, in the fall, um, and uh, ended up bringing like a 14 person team the next year that did like 17,000 units. And, you know, and at that point in time, to be honest with you, it was still kind of a one man show. My organization was like powered by me. Like I was the battery. If I wasn't like functioning at a super high level, my organization was not doing anything. Right? <laughs> yeah. I had to help all my, my, you know, uh, student leaders recruit. I had to like run infos for everybody. I had to drag people to info sessions, it, even though I was figuring out the whole like sales part of the job, the recruiting part of the job, I still wasn't a very, you know, great leader, mm -hmm. you know, but I, I started to clean up my act in a lot of other ways though, too, you know, like this might seem like a weird thing, but I started buying Tom James suits, you know, and I bought a new Tom James suit every year for like five years in a row. So I have like two or five uh, Tom James suits and it made me feel like a friggin' badass. And I yeah. wore a nice watch. I took my earrings out, you know, um, you know, just different You're things. A big guy. Well, yeah. I was just, I was just starting to think of like, who would be, would, who would, who would I want to follow? Yeah. You know? Well, and and I, do you like look at yourself differently too, right? Yeah. I didn't want yeah. to, I didn't want to give people any sort of, you know, chance or excuse to not want to work with me, you know, based on my appearance, and my demeanor, you know. And real uh, quick, do you mind explaining that backyard concept? Because like, I obviously know what you're talking about, because we've talked about it a few times, but just to the to the audience in general, do you mind explaining that concept? Yeah, what I mean by that is like, I was going to campus and throwing on my JC Penny suits and preaching all these success principles about Southwestern. And then I'd finish the day and I'd go home and I'd take off my JC Penny suit, throw on my sweats, crack open a beer, um, maybe, you know, uh, throw in a chew, you know, and, uh, and just watch TV and play video games all, all night, you know, and my, my room was a disaster. You know, I rarely did the dishes. Um, I, I do them until they pile up in my, in my, uh, so like the front yard is like when you're with them on campus wearing a suit and you're like, yeah, I got it all together. And then yeah. your backyard is what people don't see from the street. <clears throat> right. Totally. You got it. Yeah. So the front yard is, is just the inauthenticity that a lot of us have. It's the mm -hmm. facade that we put on. It's, it's Facebook, it's Instagram. It's, it's all of these things that we want people to view us as, you know, whether it's happy or a great leader or a great recruiter, or this just awesome influencer person, uh, but really deep, you know, deep down, we know that we're kind of scumbags still yeah. not doing what we're supposed to be doing in our, you know, in our personal life, you know, so I just started cleaning that up. I started, you know, waking up on time. I started going to bed at on time. Mm -hmm. I started to, you know, uh, wake up and do a workout every morning, um, eat a good breakfast, read something positive. Um, I started doing my dishes as I you know, made dirty dishes. I started, <laughs> I, st I got a hamper and I started putting my dirty clothes into the hamper and then doing my laundry. Once the hamper filled up, you know, I used to, I started making my bed every morning. I started just making sure that my, my apartment was clean. And like, yeah. if anyone first years came over, I was proud to have them come over. Cause it's like, yeah, check out my pad. Yeah. 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 Right. And, uh, you know, I bought all, you know, 20, uh, 2015, I bought all brand new furniture from, from my apartment, you know, and it was like Target, you know, Walmart, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff still, yeah. but it felt good to not have like my grandma's old, you know, sewing machine stand as like a, yeah. you know, side table and different things like that. So, uh, some other things that started to change too those years was um, I really started to bond with my rookies and hang out with my rookies a lot more. Um, I think a lot of times we have a tendency to once again, do the whole front yard thing and like only hang out with our rookies for training meetings and campus meetings. But uh, every week we started inviting the first years over to our house and we called it the hangout sesh. 
you know, for like one night a week, all the first years, if they wanted to, it was totally yeah. optional yeah. if they wanted to. And then, and we made it fun. You know, we, I buy chips and salsa and snacks and I'd probably spend like a hundred bucks on snacks to have everybody come over. Um, and then we'd play games like the game of things, cards against humanity, all those fun games where you kind of get to know people's sense Humor. of humor. And, yeah. <laughs> Um, we'd watch the movies together, you know, just hang out and BS together. And it was just really fun. And that's how I kind of bonded my teams mm. together, just hanging out. Nice. Um, and the teams really cared about each other too. You know, yeah. we, we didn't have a lot of like team meetings necessarily. We only had mm. like a couple, two, three, maybe throughout the whole. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder if stuff like what you're saying is super underrated compared to like you know doing an extra training that they're gonna inevitably forget versus like if they actually enjoy each other and like hanging out and like want to have a great team together versus like all right we're gonna hop on zoom and so and so is gonna come teach you something (laughs) yeah well and that's the thing like i think honestly honestly some of people's biggest fears in doing southwestern is not the work or being away from home you know, it's whether they're going to work with a bunch of people that they actually like and it's whether it's fun, fun yeah. you know? So it's like, if you can knock out the, whether it's going to be fun and, you know, if you're going to work with cool people before they even go out for the summer, they're usually going to be way more committed and way <laughs> more committed to the team, you know? And I used to talk a lot about that. I was really big into promoting the movie Miracle and yeah. like how Herb Brooks brought that team together and how the name on the the front of the jersey is a hell of a lot less important than the name on the, or the name on the back is a lot less important than the name yeah. on the front, right? Where he's like, who do you play for? Yeah, like, yeah. Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Minnesota Duluth. Boston, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So so that was a big one. And then I actually started promoting that too. I did posters every year of my team where I would like, as I selected somebody new for the team, uh, I would make a poster that had like a white background with a cutout picture of from the, like their Facebook or something once we were friends on Facebook. So I'd put that on there, their name, the logo, the, the logo of the school that they went to, you know, and then I just keep adding people, you know, and then I would promote that. Like even as I closed and wrapped up with people at the end of the info session, I was like, hey, so this is my team so far. Um, this person won a national championship in, in figure skating. This person uh was a state championship or state champion in golf this person yeah blah 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 blah. you know and i'd be like to be totally honest with you with you i don't need you to do this program like we're gonna have a great summer with or without you but it's just totally up to you on whether you want to be part of something bigger than yourself because we're gonna have an awesome team this year yeah. You know, so this so this follow-up process, we're gonna hang out, we're gonna get to know each other. I want to get to know the kind of movies you like, the music you listen to, what you're into, what you do for fun, what makes you do. But it's also your opportunity to prove to me that you should be part of this team. And it really set kids up to fight to be on my team. Yeah. You know, I had a really high show percentage for day one interviews. Um, and uh, you know. And it probably allowed you to build the relationship a little bit more too, because you weren't having to like try to get them to like, you could get to know them while they were trying to impress you. You didn't have to like put on, like do as much of the like, right. You know, arms crossed, leaning back, impress me in the interview. Like they were already, all right, I need to impress this guy. And you were just like, so what artist do you like? Okay. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, everything about the cycle of recruiting back then was about relationship building, like even on the phone. I mean, I know some of my guys nowadays are only doing like three minute commits. And to me, I was like, if it takes me two more minutes to build some rapport with this kid and ask him what he wants to do with his future and try and connect something that I know of Mm -hmm. or an alumni that I know of or a sister company or alumni that works for a different company to them you know, and get them fired up about that and get them fired up about me and be chill on the phone so that when they came to the info, they're like, you're AJ. And I'm like, hell yeah, dude, good to meet you. Yeah. We talked last night about da, 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 da. Right. Right there. Kids were more with it. You know, I tied to you and then you tied them into, man, we need some more 17,000 unit teams. (laughs) Right. So anyway, um, that's, 
you know, that's when things really took off for me. You know, we had, you know, that, that eight person team six finished. I think most of them hit Sizzler, uh, that, that 14 person team. Well, technically it was 12, but I've, I recruited two pretty sharp dudes named Taylor Hoffer and Austin Rorick. And I put them on this B contracts team. Yeah. Uh, because I was feeling a little bit stressed about training everybody too. Uh, but, uh, so technically Ashley got, um, got, uh, credit for all those and she did nice. a lot of the training, so she did an awesome yeah. job, but, um, you know, then with that, I think, uh, we were the number two team in the company that year. And, you know, it was like literally a matter of two years. And I went from having like three managers in my base to having like 12 managers in my base, you know, and then over the next couple of years uh, with Tim Ritzer leaving and everything too, um, Ryan and groom or Ryan groom. And I just figured, you know, this was our baby. We needed to figure it out. Yeah. We needed to figure out how to become strong enough leaders to keep this thing growing, you know? Yeah. So that was a huge, uh, that was a huge moment of just empowerment when, when Ritzer left and, you know, he sat me and Ryan down and he was like, Hey, the reason why I'm totally confident in leaving right now is because of you guys, you know? Wow. Yeah. And, uh, and that was awesome. Yeah. Also, also scary. It's terrifying. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest with you, we never thought Tim was going to leave, you yeah, know, uh, when he finally he did talked about it, but yeah, when he did, it was kind of like, okay, well, we got to figure this out. And yeah, those first couple, couple years being a DSL, I had to, I definitely went through some growing pains for sure. Yeah, for sure. Dang, that's cool. Well, there's so much more I want to ask you. We only got through like half our stuff, but I know you have a family and I've got stuff doing too. So we're going to do- Well, we can do a part two if you want. Yeah, we'll have to do a part two because I want to ask you about a lot of the stuff like from that point forward and and then go back to some of your selling stuff. And I'd love to dive more into that, but I mean, this is good. I've got like a page full of notes on like team building ideas and that was really helpful for me. So thanks. Yeah, my pleasure, man. Thank you. Also, people aren't gonna, or I guess I'll, I'll pause it here and then I have one other thing to say. <laughs>